It's a, uh, it's a great day, and um, God is present here in a powerful way. You know, um, it feels really good when somebody gets what's coming to them. You know what I'm saying? This is uh, one of my favorite uh, Christmas movies, The Christmas Story. And, and this is a scene where um, Rafi uh, turns the tables on the neighborhood bully, um, Scott Farkas, <laughs> who torments uh, Ralphie and all the other children in the neighborhood. He, he finally gets what's coming to him. Whenever that scene appears, you know, you kind of, yeah, there's a sweetness, isn't there, to revenge. And you know, I have to confess, there have been times in, in my life when somebody has done me wrong and something bad happens to them, and secretly I'm thinking inside, yeah, Revenge, sweet. Well, we're doing a sermon series uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, and, and Jesus is laying down some, some values and principles that are to, to govern the kingdom of God and our lives. And what we're discovering through this series is that, that Jesus' values are radically different from ours, from our natural inclination. So very different from what you and I feel like doing. And today we're going to look at retaliation. Uh, how do we respond when somebody hurts us? How do we respond when somebody hates us? How do we respond when somebody insults us? And I'm reading from Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 38. These are the words of Jesus. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, I'll hand over your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, Jesus is referencing Exodus 21. In chapter 20, we have the, the Ten Commandments, and then after that, throughout Exodus, we have this, this exposition of, of all these rules, these laws concerning personal injuries. And in verse 23, it says this, but if there is serious injury, you're to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, and bruise for bruise. Uh, this is called the, the Lex Talonius. It means that the punishment must be commensurate with the crime. It's a legal principle that, that is foundation even to our legal system today. Now, it wasn't meant to be a prescription for personal conduct. It was meant to, to guide civic laws and courts as they presided over Israel's justice system. And so if your neighbor accidentally killed your, your prized bull... Uh, you didn't walk over to his field and kill his prize bull. You, you took the case to the elders, and they would make sure that the punishment fit the crime. And, and this was meant to keep the courts from exacting more from a, the guilty person than the crime deserved. So Jesus isn't calling for the abolishment of this law. What he's doing, he's calling for a higher standard, as he has done consistently through the Sermon on the Mount. And, and neither is Jesus 
calling us to, to literally do this. If we literally followed what he was saying, we'd be naked and we'd be homeless and evil would be running rampant. He's using hyperbole. Well, Pastor, why do you say that? Well, remember two weeks ago he said, if your eye offends you, what? Pluck it out. Okay? Hyperbole, right? If, you're, if, if your hand offends you, do what? Yeah, we don't take that literally, thank goodness, you know, or we'd all be in, in big trouble. What Jesus is doing in this passage is he's challenging you and I to think about our values, about how we're living our life. And he uses four examples. The first is a slap in the face. Now, he's not talking about a roundhouse punch in the face. He's talking about a, a, a backhanded slap. And in that culture today, and in our culture still today, when somebody does that, what are they doing? They're, they're not trying to injure you. They're trying to insult you. They're trying to humiliate you. The second example is somebody suing you for your shirt <laughs> by making a legal claim. The third uh, was a Roman law that actually permitted a Roman soldier to compel uh, the, the natives of a conquered land to carry their, their packs for a mile. Again, this would be humiliating. And then the fourth is probably addressing, insulting a poor person who comes to you asking for help to borrow some money. So in each of these, Jesus is, is, is suggesting a radically different response. See, our normal response to being hurt or to being humiliated or insulted is to do what? Is to retaliate. We want to hurt them back. <coughs> we want to see something bad happen to them. And none of us can, um, well, Linda, would you bring me uh, my water? I'm going to call. There is a sweetness to retaliation. And we've all experienced that. There, there is a sweetness to it. But, but it can also hurt our souls because it chokes the love out of us and replaces it with hate. We become bitter people who, who hold grudges against people, secretly wanting them to pay for what they have done to us. A man named Dennis Donahue wrote this, these words in his will, dated November 23, 1940. Unto my two daughters, Frances Marie and Denise Victoria, by reason of their unfilial attitude towards a doting father, I leave the sum of one dollar to each of them. But he's not done. Listen. And a father's curse made their lives be fraught with misery, unhappiness, and poignant sorrow. May their deaths be soon and of a lingering, malignant, and torturous nature. And may their souls rest in hell and suffer the torments of the condemned for eternity. How does that happen? These girls were 18 and 20. How, how, how does that happen to a father? How, how did this man get to such a dark and evil place? What happened that this father's love for his children was replaced by a desire to, to see them in hell? I mean, folks, I've had arguments with my two daughters, but I've never wished for them to rot in hell. I mean, this is taking revenge and retaliation to the uttermost limit. See, retaliation takes lots of forms, but at its core, 
is the desire to hurt back, to hit back, to say words that cut deeply into that person, to hurt their reputation through gossip, even, even to fantasize about bad things happening to person can, can actually do us harm. You don't have to just actually do harm. I mean, just thinking about doing harm can be dangerous to our souls. And folks, if you're letting somebody live rent-free in, in your head, hoping something bad happens to them, be careful. Because retaliation and revenge is knocking at your door. So how do we practice a different kind of lifestyle? a lifestyle of non-retaliation. Jesus suggests three values that his followers are to have, and they are humility, generosity, and serving. So let me unpack these for the next couple of minutes. You, uh, pride certainly uh, pay, plays a big part in our desire for retaliation. The, the slap on, on the cheek with the back of the hand was a huge insult in, in Near East culture. In fact, you, you could punch somebody in the face and you might be fined $50. But if you gave them a backhanded slap, that was double the fine. That would be $100. Pride is perhaps our biggest obstacle to our life with God. The Apostle Paul um, had to give his beloved Philippians a warning. He said, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others better than yourselves. So why was that? Why was Paul so worried uh, uh, about the impact of pride in the church? Because he knew how dangerous it is. In fact, most theologians would agree that pride is the mother of all sins. In Isaiah 14, it, it says that, that pride is what caused Lucifer to rebel against God. And the devil used pride to tempt our first parents, Adam and Eve. And so he said to them, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and what? You will be like God. Who of us doesn't want to be like God? And so Paul says, to avoid selfish ambition and vain conceit, to avoid it. You see, selfish ambition is, is, is insisting on your own way. Vain conceit is doing so because you believe yourself to, to be more important than other people. Selfish ambition wants to be prominent. Vain conceit uh, believes that it is more deserving than anyone else. Selfish ambition makes others yield to what it says. Vain conceit assumes that its thoughts, its desires, and its happiness matter more than anybody else's. You see, almost any time that I've had conflict in, in my life, when I've hurt somebody's feelings or when I've gotten angry, I can almost always trace it back to my pride. Pride will get us into trouble more than anything else. Now, is pride always bad? Well, of the 62 times pride is used in the Bible, 53 times it is used in a negative sense. But there are nine times when, when there is good pride. For example, Paul talks about how proud he is of the Corinthian church for their generosity. And so pride in this sense means satisfaction over one's achievements. This kind of pride is good. So in other words, Paul's encouraging us to aim high so that we can be proud of our performance at work or, or proud of our performance at school or, or proud of our performance uh, at home. 
And so good pride means self-respect. It means dignity. It means class. It means joy in seeing others succeed. Bad pride is egotism. It is conceit. It is selfishness. In 1 John chapter 2, it says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, come not from the Father, but from the world. So what's the antidote to pride? Well, it's humility. Again, Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, he says, In humility, regard others as better than yourselves. And let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And so humility says, it doesn't have to be my way because I can see that others would benefit from your way. Humility says things don't necessarily have to please me because I can see that it's meeting the needs of others. Humility helps me to to think of others ahead of myself. And In verse 3, Paul uses the word better. He says, regard others as better than yourselves. Now, now that's a little confusing. That's a little awkward. I think a, a better translation is found in the message. It says this, put yourself aside and help others to get ahead. Now, I like that. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility says, I'm not going to promote myself. I'm going to promote you. Humility says, I'm going to help you develop your gifts and and your talents. I'm going to help you become the leader that God wants you to become. So humility. Secondly, Jesus suggests that we deal with retaliation by by choosing to be generous. Jesus says, if anybody wants uh, to sue you and take your shirt, give them your coat as well. Last winter, I was driving home from worship, and uh, I was coming around 275, and there at the intersection of 275 and Beachmont Avenue, and there was this, this guy there, and he was holding a sign asking for help, and it was a cold winter day, you know, and, and immediately this verse came to my mind. I, I hate when that happens, you know. And immediately I started coming up with these great reasons why I shouldn't do that. God, clearly, this man here, his style is going to be different from mine. I mean, I had on my favorite wool dress coat. I love this coat, and it is so nice and warm. God, that wouldn't look good on him. (laughs) And then I thought, gosh, you know, it's not his size either. This guy, he's a lot bigger than I am. You know, it wouldn't fit. It'd just be wasted on him. I mean, I was amazed at how many excuses I came up with. I was so happy when that light finally turned green and I was able to go home. So how does generosity help us? It breaks me out of the bonds of my own self-interest of my own wants and desires. It helps me deal with that attitude of possessiveness towards things that can control and dominate me. Helps me to look beyond my own needs, my own self. You see, by by nature, we are basically self-centered. I I have a tendency to think, you know, what's in it for me? Why should I do that? I'm not getting anything out of that. See, what generosity does is it helps me examine my values. It helps me to examine my motivations, my, you know, what, what's important. 
It helps me to ask myself, you know, what, what, what am I living for? Am I just living for myself or am I living for a, a cause greater than myself or for, or for somebody else or for something else? So giving helps me to clarify my priorities, my, my values. It helps me to examine my motivations. See, the, the Bible says we give to prevent selfishness. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well. See, that's, that's, that's how we do things. That that's puts our priorities in place. And, and Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he's bragging on some Christians who have really stepped up to the blade in their generosity. And in chapter 8, verse 5, he says, They did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. You see, first they gave themselves, their lives, they surrendered their lives to God. And then they gave their offering, then they gave their gifts to help out other people. That's the priority. You see, we give because we need to give. Because of what it does to us. It keeps us from being self-centered and selfish. It keeps us from being Scrooges. It keeps us from thinking that we're God and that the universe revolves around us. Generosity. And then finally, Jesus suggests that going the extra mile can help us. It's all about serving. You see, choosing to serve rather than to demand my own way. Again, let's go back to Philippians 2. Paul says this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being found in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So what Jesus is saying here, or what Paul is saying is that before Jesus became human, he was God. That in his pre-earthly state, Jesus possessed inwardly and displayed um, outwardly the very nature of God. That before becoming a human being, Jesus Christ was divine. That he possessed all the attributes of God. But, Paul says, he did not regard equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. In verse 7 it says that he made himself nothing, listen, by taking the form of a servant. Not that he exchanged his divinity for a servant, but that he displayed the nature of God in the nature of a servant. That he chooses to express his divinity as one who serves. Folks, this is absolutely radical. Paul is saying, if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus and you look at Jesus, and we see one who serves. And so Jesus uses his heavenly privileges for the sake of others. He leaves his throne of glory, and he empties himself of his divine prerogatives. He assumes all the limitations inherent in being human, and he serves the needs of people around him. He never seeks religious power. He never seeks political power. He never turns anybody away. And then he comes to the last week of his life. The cross is looming. It's the, it's the night before he is betrayed. And what does he do? He assumes the nature of a servant and he washes the feet 
the dirty, smelly feet of his disciples. And he says, you do the same. And Paul says, let the same mind be in you. You and I are created to reflect the nature and character of God. And so that means that we are most human when we reflect God's character. And we do that when we empty ourselves from demanding our own way and learn to become servants. Sometimes, when I get in an argument and it gets heated, I think to myself, you know, if I say something hurtful enough, they'll realize how wrong they were and apologize. It's never worked. Hurtful words simply produce more hurtful words. Relationships are torn apart by people trying to hurt each other. Retaliation begets retaliation. And Jesus is telling us today that you and I can break that cycle. That if they hurt our pride, we choose to humble ourselves more. That if they ask for something, give them more than what they expected. Go the second mile and find ways to serve them. Now maybe you're thinking right now, you know, uh, Pastor, what if I do that and it doesn't work? It doesn't matter. This is not about fixing the other person, okay? It's about a way of living. It's about a way of following Jesus' example and learning how to walk in love. Now, let me give a word of caution before I close this up. I'm not suggesting that we be doormats. Don't allow anyone to abuse you or harm you or to harm anybody else. If you're the victim of the abuse, it is not time to turn the other cheek. It's time to get help. In June of 2003... The Hatfields and McCoys ended their 128-year blood feud. Sixty descendants of the original clans gathered to sign a document declaring an official end to more than a century of hatred and bloodshed. That started when one of the McCoys was accused of stealing a hog. And over the next 10 years, 12 people would be murdered because of it. It came to an end. And here's what the document says. We do hereby informally declare an official end to all hostilities implied, inferred, and real between the families now and forevermore. And we ask by God's grace and love that we be forever remembered as those that bound together the hearts of two families to form a family of freedom in America. My friends of the Hatfields and McCoys can forego revenge and retaliation and find reconciliation, then I guess that we can as well. You see, the gospel is all about this. 
We were God's enemies, but Jesus says now we are friends. He loved us even though we rebelled against him. And when you and I, when we refuse to retaliate, when we respond to mistreatment with kindness, when we extend generosity to all who need it, guess what? We are reflecting the very nature and character of God. And it all begins with a single word. Forgiveness. Let's pray. Forgive us, O oh God, for those times we have hurt others. And help us to forgive those who have hurt us. And grant us the gifts of humility, generosity, and a servant's heart by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.